You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, starting a mobile bank and fintech company with Sheena Allen. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. If you are totally new, then you're wondering why I'm calling you a journeyer. Well, a journeyer means you are now on the mission with me to launch to financial independence and freedom. You're a journeyer now. There's no turning back. Let's launch together. Now, before we hop into this episode with Sheena Allen, it's an amazing conversation. I want to just let you know about the free class that I'm having on January 14th. So this episode drops on January 13th. So if you're listening to this, as soon as it comes out, then you still have the opportunity to join me on January 14th for a free class all about what? My favorite topic, financial independence 101, how to build an action plan to financial freedom and still live your best life. It's going down at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, January 14th, and you can still join me at journeytolaunch.com slash free class. And if you do miss this free class, don't worry. I mean, you know, I'm always working on something special for you guys, and I will be opening up doors for the second cohort, the second enrollment in my Journey to Financial Independence course. So this is the course where I walk you through step-by-step how to get you from where you currently are now to financial independence, giving you a flexible roadmap, giving you the confidence and support for you to get there. So if you want to learn more about that, go to journeytolaunch.com slash FI course, but doors will be closing on the 19th. So I will be shutting down enrollment so I can focus on the amazing, amazing people who enroll in students. We did this course live. We did the live launch of this course, the first cohort late last year in 2020, and it was amazing. So you get to see some of the results and testimonials if you go to journeytolaunch.com slash FI course. But if you can, join me for the free class, journeytolaunch.com slash free class. But if you missed that and you're like, Jamila, I am ready. <laughs> Take me to the promised land. Then join us in this next cohort, journeytolaunch.com slash FI course before enrollment ends. Enrollment ends on January 19th. Now let's get into a bit about Sheena. So Sheena Allen is best known as the founder and CEO of fintech company and mobile bank Capway and mobile app company Sheena Allen Apps. Sheena went on to scale Sheena Allen Apps to five apps and was able to generate millions of downloads, all with no outside funding. And get this, she didn't even know how to code when she first developed and created her first mobile app. In 2016, Sheena thought of an idea for her second startup, Capway. Capway is a mobile bank and fintech company that focuses on those who lack fair opportunity and access to mainstream financial services and the cashless economy. This is such an important mission that Sheena is on, and you're going to hear more about her story, how she came up with this idea, what gave her the guts to go after it. I mean, she started a bank. (laughs) I'm so inspired by Sheena's story, and I think you will be too. First, a word from today's sponsor. As we are in the beginning of a brand new year, it's the perfect time to get focused and committed to your financial goals. Not only is it great to reflect on your money wins and lessons learned from the previous year, but it's the perfect opportunity to set and commit to your financial goals for the year ahead. Take time to reevaluate your current financial tools, banking situation, and consider joining your local credit union if you're not already a member. For example, Digital Federal Credit Union, better known as DCU, is committed to providing their members with the financial products and services they need to help them achieve their financial goals. Not only does DCU offer free online education for the members on money topics, including saving, building credit, and budgeting, DCU also offers products that can help members establish or improve their credit. To learn more, check out dcu.org. And stick around to the end of the show for the DCU Money Tip of the Week, where I'll be sharing tips to help you save and manage your money so that you can reach your goals. Okay, let's get into the episode. 
Hey, Journeyers. Really excited to have today's guest on the podcast. I've been seeing her around um, so much on social, super impressed by what she's been able to do in the finance space and not like, you know, I'm in like the more informational, educational side of things. And I'm always impressed with people when they get into like the tech side, like, you know, like actual providing a system and product for people. And so I was like, oh, I can't wait to have Sheena on the podcast. So welcome, Sheena Allen. Thank you for having me. How would you describe your what, like what you do in this space? I feel like you're a creator. I saw somewhere um, someone tagged you and, and it was like the youngest Black woman to own a bank. Yes, uh, apparently. I, I try to fact check it. I'm like, am I really the youngest? So I don't know, maybe, but people have said I am, so I guess so. I think it's the youngest person, like even if you just take the Black out. I think it's the youngest female. Female, um, okay. I think I think it's youngest female, which I still is crazy. Well, I guess I don't know. I started this company when I was well. The idea came when I was twenty-seven, so I guess it's kind of young to be thinking about owning a bank. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we're gonna get to the bank. So, your bank is Capway. I want to talk about like what it is, the problem it solves, um, so people can get more information about it. But I kind of want to take it back to how you got into this field. Because you went to school, you graduated with a major in psychology and film. Yes. For your undergraduate. And then you found yourself, though, like starting to like develop apps. Like you became very popular and successful in the app space at a young age without even knowing how to like code. So I really want to get into like what like led you down that route. Yeah. So in college, as you mentioned, double major film psychology. I minored in marketing. I didn't I I was kind of all over the place, as you probably can tell when I was in college. And my senior year of college, I went to Walmart. So I had, I had subleased my apartment out this, that summer. And so when I went back to school, I was had to go to Walmart. So like, you know, like buy stuff just to be back around the house. And I had this like long receipt. It wasn't like CBS long, but it was like a long receipt from Walmart. And I told my roommate who was with me, I was like, you know, I wish I was out. I could keep up with my money and my receipts. And this was 2011. And of course, the apps were 2011 had like, I don't know, 200,000 app, apps in it. Still very, very young. And I couldn't find anything. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to figure out like how to develop this app. And my roommate was like, Shanna, you don't do anything technical. And I was like, but I love computers. So I'm, like, I'm going to figure it out. And that was literally like the first step into doing apps. The thing is here, like I have an app idea a day, like in my head, like right now. And I'm just like, and then I think about like execution. I know they're like services and you have like, I know you can plug, plug us into how all that works where you can get help with it. Right. Like most people have ideas, but they don't like <laughs> execute the way you did. So are you just that kind of person? Like you think of an idea, you just do it or what prompted you to really go after it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was like, I really need this and I can't find it. So I'm going to figure out how to do it myself. And I I honestly I had no clue what the heck I was doing. So let me be very clear. I went to the University of Google and I was like, how, what, what do I do? And so I literally used printer paper, which I got out of my printer. I got back to my apartment and I sketched out the way that like, I wanted it to look. And I took that, the sketches, and I opened up Microsoft Word. And I had like, you know, like the text boxes that is not used for designing. I used text boxes to design out how I wanted it to look. And I was like, I'm just going to figure it out. Like, I really want this app and I can't find it. So, hey, let me get it done. It, and I did everything that you're not supposed to do when it comes to designing and building apps. But I didn't know what I was doing. So I, I figured it out the hard way. So you created that app. Did, what happened with that app? What was the name of it? The name of the app was called PAMO. It stood for Picture and Money Organizer. It sounds so stupid now that, now that I think about it, but that was what I came up with. So it's called Pamo. I put it out. I like fifty downloads. Like it wasn't. It, I. It was not a a huge success in any way. The first month it was like fifty downloads, but I think the most important thing that came out of that was one. I fell off the process of like saying I'm going from an idea to like. People can download this all over the world, even if only 50 people. Um, people can download this. And then uh, it was something about this technology piece that was like, you can touch people from anywhere and everywhere. That was just so amazing to me. Uh, and I just completely fell in love with it. So I know that's not something you do now. Like that app is just like a history. But I would think there are similar things like that now in the market. Like you, you it basically took a picture. You could take a picture of your receipt and it kind of organized that those numbers on an app for you. Yeah. People need that now. I'm sure there's some, there must be something that. 
does that now. Yeah, I think there I think there's a few that do it now, but like yeah, I want I wanted it to be where like you can take a picture of your receipt and then it organizes your your numbers, your money for you. But then on the other side, I wanted it to be where like we also didn't actually have to get receipts. Like we had the option to like get a receipt and take a picture or like we can just get a digital option of our receipt and it goes to this app to organize our money. So that was I was trying to do that like 2011. So, mm. Yeah. <laughs> and you still were an undergraduate at that point. Yeah, I was still in school. So how did you take that experience and start to expand it, right? It wasn't just like a one-time thing. You did, this is like that eventually led you into your career of what you're doing now, right? Yeah. So this was first of when I went back to school in fall. So this was August. It was like July when it actually happened, but going to August. And as I mentioned, it wasn't like a huge success, but I, because I fell in love with the process, I wanted to give it another try. And I was like, well, you know, maybe that didn't work out. I'm going to try a different one. I'm into like anything creative. So even before going to college, I was really deep into like painting and drawing and all the art. So I, I kind of love like the photo piece of like even the receipt thing. And so I put out an app in November of that year called Words on Pics, which as you probably can guess, was adding words on pictures. And that app did probably like 2,500 downloads the first month which was much better than the 50,000, the 50 that I got, you know, from my, my first app. And so that app did well. And I graduated in December and I, my mom was pretty much like go to grad school. My mom was encouraging grad school. My dad was more of like, you have two degrees, you have some student loan debt, you need to get a nine to five and get some income. And thank God I didn't have too much student loan debt. I had a lot of scholarships, but um, I still had some student loan debts. My dad's like, get a, get a nine to five, you know, need security, need a, a, a guaranteed paycheck. And I myself said, well, I'm going to give myself six months. And if like this tech thing doesn't work, I'll go to grad school. And I put out two apps in between those six months. And the first one, that was technically the third one, but the first one that six months was app called Twit Booth. And what I was trying to do was actually make an Instagram, pretty much Instagram for Twitter. And I put it out. It did really well, honestly, very, very well. But I got an email from Twitter <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that they weren't too happy, I guess. And like, I don't know, like a, maybe like a month later, the media tab in the Twitter app showed up. Mm. Um, so that's my Twitter story. So anyway, uh, oh, good idea. But you yeah. can't do it. We are, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, but then the fourth app was an app called Dublin, and it allows you to clone yourself within within this app. I saw my friend had did it for her graduation photo shoot. I thought it was the dopest thing ever. And I wanted to make it into an app. And it, I put it out and it just, I mean, it went viral. It just blew up. And that was really pretty much solidified. This is what I want to do. And this is where I'm going to stay. Right. And is that what you started Sheena Allen apps as like the house, all those apps that you were creating? Correct. Yep. But you were doing this without coding it yourself. I know you did the design and all the work, but like then you had, you just outsourced the coding, like the back end part of it. Is that how you did it? Okay. Yeah. And how long would, and that's just being curious about like the app process. I know nowadays, even probably things are even easier than when you started, right? In terms of finding people to like help you do something like this. But how long does an app take, you think, from thought? And I know the varies depend on right. the complication of it, but how long? Uh, does a typical, typical process take to, to get an app? I would say the the quickest I've done from idea to launch has been about six weeks. Mm. And is it expensive? Even now I can tell people there are some really basic apps you can get done for two, three grand. I mean, very basic. I would say in today's time, your average app is probably going to cost you as an MVP. So like your, your minimum viable product, you need to somewhere around like five to 10 grand. Um, mm. to get the MVP going. But like I said, I, my shortest was like six weeks. It cost me like 20, maybe two grand. But my longest, of course, which is a full company though, which is Capway. I mean, it's taken us, this idea for Capway came in 2016. We pretty much did R&D for two, three years. We started building in 2019 and we're launching technically launch to the public from a banking side in January of 2021. So it's, I mean, sometimes it's super quick and then sometimes it's a lot of money in a, in a long time. Right. Well, now that you talked about Capway, let's, let's talk more like about it. One, what is Capway? And I'd love to get like at that moment that you decided that Capway needed to exist. Like what prompted you to want to do it? 
Yeah, so Capway itself, we are a financial service provider. The core of what we do is mobile banking, or it's, it's a term for now, it's neo banking, which is, is digital banking. So that is the core of what we do. And in that, we provide debit cards, we provide money accounts. Um, we don't call them checking accounts just because in digital banking, you don't really give out checks. Um, so the, they make us call them money accounts or spend accounts, not, <laughs> not checking accounts. Uh, we do savings. So we do the things that are pretty standard for well, your traditional banking, but usually with neo banks, you don't get really deep into like mortgages and you know uh, retirement accounts. Now some some do, but usually, especially in the early time, you see more like just like savings accounts, spend accounts, uh, lending things like that. Um, so overall, we are a financial service provider. The core we do is mobile banking, digital banking, but we have other things that we do um, that so really what the goal of Capway is. And that goal of Capway is how do we close gaps through access and opportunities? And that's access gaps, that's digital gaps, that's information gaps, so financial literacy, income gaps, income inequality in America is, is ridiculous. And that's amongst women, that's amongst race, that's that's across a lot of different sectors. And then of course, you had the racial wealth gap, which you know we all know is is ridiculous. I think the average black family, I think net worth is around 17,000, 18,000 versus um, a white family is about 171, 172,000. So you have a lot of gaps. So our, so my, our goal as a financial service provider is how do we fill those gaps by providing access and opportunities that really haven't been afforded? Because I feel like people have overlooked a large sector of Americans. I always tell people, most people, because we say a lot of times overlooked and, and underbanked, and most people will not consider themselves underbanked. I think the name, the term underbank, people kind of equate to poor, which is actually not true. But you can be underbanked because you can't afford the minimum balance fee that your bank is charging you. You know, your person is going to overdraft, you know, often or even once or twice. But you're also underserved because the fi- that financial institution doesn't do much for you if you lose your job today. I mean, stats range, but roughly was about 70, 78% of Americans are, ex- are said to live paycheck to paycheck, even pre-COVID. And most people, that means about 78% of Americans, if they lost their job today, they couldn't pay their bills next month, which meant that you're pretty much going to end up probably paying to bank because you can't afford the minimum balance fee. So a lot of us are actually underbanked. We just don't see ourselves that way. Mm. Was there a certain moment that you said that, hey, you know what, because there are, you know, there are other online banks and, you know, there are credit unions um, that I'm a huge fan of now that provide um, s- some solutions. Right. But what was for you like the idea that Capway would be that would fill in gaps that these other places maybe, you know, are not able to reach or fill in? Yeah. So I, I grew up in a small town, Terry, Mississippi, a little, a little small town in central Mississippi. Um, and I grew up in a banking desert. So. I knew it was like not having proper or fair access to um, financial services. You know, it's funny because I always tell people growing up in a place like Mississippi, we don't have the big national charters and the national banks. Like there's no Bank of America. There's no Chase. We only have CDFIs, your community banks, your credit unions, um, your regional banks, um, or just there's no bank at all. You just there's payday lending and check cashing and title loans. So growing up around that, I I knew what it was like for my great grandmother to keep her money in her house. She didn't have a bank. She didn't have a bank account at all. Like her money was literally at her house. Um, I have a few family members actually who are like that, mainly cash based. And so crazy enough, when I started my first company, my first tech company, I first went to Silicon Valley, and then I actually ended up building my company out actually in Austin. So I, I mainly spent my time in Austin for my first company. And it's crazy because being in California, being in Austin there's banks on every corner, specifically where I lived at. It was like, you know, you just walk downtown. There's a bank, like three banks right beside each other. What prompted me was like, I will go back home and I would notice that people back home were still cashing checks at like the convenience store and the grocery store. And there was not a bank on every corner. And I think two things that really happened for me that kind of, I think, tilted me to say, hey, I need to kind of focus more was one, I remember walking to restaurants when I would be in like New York or Texas or California this was like 2017, 2016, 2017. And even then it would be like, you know, debit and credit only or cash free. I think like back home, like <laughs> they couldn't eat here because they only have cash. Um, so that was the first one. And the second thing was that understanding we were moving into a social age. And why that's important is because 
you know, my with my grandmother or people back home, they probably have never left Mississippi or at the most like we ride to like Memphis, we ride to New Orleans. Like that's our version of like getting away. And the fact that we were in a social age, somebody who had never left their small town in Mississippi or in Arkansas or Kentucky, social media has shown you the world. So like right now I'm sitting in Atlanta, but I can easily get on social media and see what's going on in New York or going on in LA or in Miami. And what that created was sort of creating FOMO. So now you had people who were still in the small towns, but they wanted to like get Amazon Prime. They wanted Spotify. They wanted Netflix. You can't do that if you only have cash. And it's an interesting stat that I found that kind of what those two pushed me over the edge, which was 52% of Americans live in the same nine states. So we're all kind of pushed into the same nine states, New York, Florida, Texas, Georgia, Illinois, California. We're literally all pretty much like half of Americans are in the same nine states. And then you had 48% of Americans who are spread out across everywhere else. And what I found was that I had the, I would say privilege of living on both sides. I had lived in the 48%, but I also lived in 52%. I realized the difference. And I feel like when we look at the newer age digital banks, they really focus on that 52% because most of these banks are born out of Boston. They're born out of New York. They're born out of San Francisco. They're usually created by middle-aged white men who probably came from Stanford or Harvard. And it's like they have no clue what it's like to live on that 48% because they've probably never been to Little Rock, Arkansas. or They've never been to Southside Chicago or the other part of Detroit or Jackson, Mississippi. So that was really what led me to say there are still huge gaps in this financial system, even though we have digital banks. And then even with credit unions, unfortunately, the truth is you're not going to have the average 18-year-old or 25-year-olds not going to like be like, yeah, let me walk to my local credit union and start a bank account. Because we're so used to doing everything on our phone. There was a huge gap there. And that was really what led me to build Capway. So there's a lot of like, I think, um, lessons to pull out from everything you just said is that one, even though there are other options, um, even other digital banks, what you bring to the table outside of like your expertise and you just like experience in the tech field is this like the soul, like the perspective that other people, even if they have more money, even if they have more connections, like they, they don't know what it's like to be you. And that then allows you to speak directly to like from your soul to the soul of the customer, your potential customer, because they get it. So it's going to be through your messaging. It's going to be through, you know, how you design things. And I think things like that, people sometimes overlook. And, you know, maybe someone's, you know, listening to this has an idea and they're like, well, there are other people doing it. But your perspective, like guarantee there's other people who directly can either relate because they've had the same experience or they can find pockets to relate to. And that's what's going to set you apart. So I think that's just inspiring for others to think like, yes, so what? Like there are other solutions, but they're they're not your solution. Right. And I do love how you just even broke that. I didn't even realize that whole 52% like people live because I'm, you know, I was born in Jamaica, the island. I always have to say that like, you know, nothing wrong with the borough, but (laughs) the island and then raised mostly in New York. So I am only used to really like, yes, a bank on every corner. And even yet, even in New York, there are pockets of people like in different neighborhoods that even if there is the bank like down the block, they, they're they not considering that an option for themselves, yep. right? So there's still gaps within these, like the states like the, the that we live in, these coastal states. So Capway, now you formed it. I mean, I can imagine, like you just said, you thought of the idea when? 2016. And now 2021 is like the first time you're coming, coming to market. Like, is that what you, how you call it? Yeah. So all that time to bring it to this level. Now, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I've had Arlen on the podcast before and I've been on her podcast. And then, you know, I'm also like speaking to a couple of just other people in the tech field. And I listen to, you know, how I built this. And, you know, sometimes they'll bring on all these founders that start mm-hmm. these tech companies. And there's a gap between like, not only just women getting money to build their visions, but black women. So what has your experience been like to get people behind this app and to get the money to fund your vision? Yeah. So, you know, I will say I was still running my first company up until 2018. So I was, even though the idea for Capital came in 2016, um, really for two years, it was more of like this idea stage. I would call it like a lot of R&D. And we were a very small, very, very small, like, amount of money to do the R&D. And actually, Arlen Hamilton was one of our investors very, very early. 
And I was like, I, one of my biggest benefits to even being able to raise even a small amount of money for R&D, which lasted two years, two and a half years, to be quite honest, $100,000 less, two and a half years. Can you imagine that? Wait, I'm sorry. I just want $100,000 just for the R&D portion of this. Yeah, but that had less me two and a half years. So two and a it, half years. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm breaking this down just because I want people to get a sense of like how this works. So $100,000 over two years to cover like just research and development. So that's what like looking at all the other systems maybe out there developing the what the pre- what does that part involve? Yeah, that is that's doing a lot of research. That was literally me in between once again I was from my first company but that was literally not me like doing online research that was me taking once again my experiences what I knew and saying hey how does this also work for people outside of Mississippi so this wasn't me doing like online research and going off data this was like me getting on planes and getting in my car and going to neighborhoods and talking to community activists like this was like true hardcore R&D this was doing a beta application this was running debates at schools and with community organizations. And this was two and a half years of making a hundred thousand dollars do that in tech, tech, which is not a lot. And I will say the reason I believe I I even got that was because my first company was successful. Had my first company not been successful. I don't, I don't know if I would have gotten that at all. And And I know what it's like to bootstrap my first company. I didn't raise any money. I bootstrapped that. So I want people to know, I say to be very clear, it wasn't that I came to capital and I raised money and it was like, oh, like she's one of the few that was able to easily raise money. Look, I went through the struggle with my first company. I know it's it was like the bootstrap. I know it's like they have millions of app downloads and investors still question, are you worth a check for your company? So I was so the biggest benefit, I guess, in the end that did come from that though was I was able to raise a small amount of money early for R&D for Capway, in which once again, Arlen was was one of those. Um, I, I have known Arlen for a while uh, for my first company, but I did that for, as mentioned, two and a half, about two and a half years. And then in 20, late 2018, we raised our pre-seed, so our, our pre-seed funding. So the thing I want to be very clear about when it comes to fintech, or especially when it comes to mobile banking or digital banking, you have to raise money pre-product. Because it's such a regulated industry, there's so much money you have to pay up front for so many different things. Whereas, like, you know, I can, for like social media, I use an example. If I was building some social media website, there's so many resources to build, like, for free to gain traction and then go to an investor and say, hey, I have X amount of users and I think you should fund me. Well, because it's such a regulated industry and it's, and it's finance and it's banking, there you have to build this all pre product. Like, you can't bootstrap bank <laughs> like that's not how it works and so we ended up getting a pre-seed round and the person who got our pre-seed round was actually a connection that Arlen made for us so Arlen shout out to Arlen um, um, Hamilton. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out to in backstage capital Christy also Christy's amazing so Christy and Arlen you know both lead backstage capital but we raised a pre-seed round and in 2019 I pretty much took that and I moved the company to Atlanta so we're now based here in Atlanta. Um, but that money, we raised less than a million dollars for a mobile bank <laughs> for our pre-seed. And that lasted us 18 months, less than a million dollars, 18 months and building a, building a bank. And I mean, I one thing I, you probably hear from any black woman in tech, we know how to make money last because we don't know when our next check is coming. We got to focus on what we, money that we get, how do we make it last, and how do we get, how do we make, how we focus on revenue. A lot of times you see tech companies and like they raise all this money, but they don't really make money. They're not profitable. They don't make money. But I mean, every model is different too when you say that. But for most black women, we have to focus on revenue because we don't know if we're ever going to get another check. Right. Um, so we raised that pre seed round that lasts 18 months. And then currently we just raised our seed round. Raising money is hard and it's really difficult, especially black women get less than 1%. But then it goes back to, I'm not, I'm a black woman in fintech, which is even, even more difficult. Even yeah. less, even less of people look, that looks like me in this, in this industry. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's the thing too, because, you know, there may be um, some people listening right now who have ideas for technology, new ideas, or just a business. And they may want to go the route of funding, you know, versus self-funding. And it is a barrier, but 
from just what you said, even, you know, a lot of times it's even better to start with bootstrapping first. So you understand exactly what it is. So your first company, you bootstrapped. So you understood like the process. You were in this field for a while before you knew. And the type of product you're launching needs like external money, right? Like you can't bootstrap a bank, like you just said. Yeah, I think that if, and I think I always tell people though, if you can bootstrap, do it. I mean, raising money, now there are some industries, like I said, that you just, it's bootstrapping, it's just not going to happen unless you come from a super wealthy family. So like building a bank, like telehealth, like you're not trying to do this whole medical piece and you're going to bootstrap it. Like it's it probably will take a lot of money pre-product to, to get that up and going. But if you can bootstrap, I would say bootstrap because when you do raise money, I think people sometimes overlook the fact that for every check that you take, you're giving away a piece of your company. And so we have this really bad habit in media that we we celebrate somebody saying, oh, I raised $10 million, which is great. But how much equity did you give up for that $10 million? And if you talk to sometimes if you talk to founders who are like in their series B or it's not even series A. And I remember I was at an event and Tristan Walker was speaking who, you know, from, from Belleville and Walker and company. And he was here in Atlanta. I think he first moved to Atlanta and he said something that stuck out to me. I think it's, it's a lot of entrepreneurs think to hear this. And he said, I had pretty much given up so much equity to the point where like I was doing all the work, but I didn't really own majority of my company anymore. And I think that's the thing that's really important when people keep saying, like, I want to invest. I want an investor. Like every check you take, your company is less than your company, but your work doesn't become less work. Right. You become an, you become an employee again, like for your company. Yeah. As, pretty yeah. much for your shareholder. You're working for your, for your shareholder. shareholder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I don't, we don't have to get too um, in detail, but you, you threw out some words and maybe some people who, and I'm going to direct them to Arlen Hamilton's episode. Cause we did talk a little bit about funding, but like your whole, like pre-seed and you said seed round is series A, series B. I know we don't have to go through all of it, but just for some people, just to get a sense of what that's like to raise money. Can you just like quickly like go through that if it's possible to quickly go through it? Yeah. So pre-seed is usually when your idea stage um, you have, and you specifically have pre-seed investors where you go to them and you're literally like, you may have an MVP. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but you're pretty much idea stage. So this is someone who is literally believing in more of you, honestly, than they are in, in your company because every startup is going to pivot. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you were Dropbox. I don't care if you're Instacart. I don't care if you're, you know, Instagram, whatever. Instagram started out as something totally different. So everybody pivots, but that pre-seed investor is going to say, hey, I believe you as a founder. So when, when something goes wrong and we have to pivot, I still trust that you're going to build something great. So your pre-seed, and most people in pre-seed these days raise about usually less than a, less than a half a million dollars is usually pre-seed. And your pre-seed is usually going to be funded by angels, which is individuals. That's not like huge financial institutions. So you have your pre-seed round and then you go into your seed round. So this is when you literally have like something in the market. You've proven at least some part of a product market fit. Um, and this is when like you're trying to like scale that product market fit to see like if you have something that's going to be able to stick and build longevity. So this is like your it's like your seed. It's kind of like I mentioned your seed. This is you plant the seed and you're trying to make sure it seeds are going to grow. So your seed round and funding rounds have increased a lot. So I would say a seed round, average seed round, probably in today's time, it's probably like two million dollars. You know, years ago, seed round was a half million dollars, but not anymore. Seed round now is two, three million dollars. Um, so that's your seed. Then after your seed comes your series A. And your series A is like, okay, now I have traction. I have revenue if if your model is to make money. You might not be profitable. And most people are not profitable at series A, but I'm making money. I'm seeing what works, what doesn't work. Now I can, I can hammer down on these two things, this one thing, and I'm now headed for acceleration. So that's your Series A. It's, series A, once again, is also a, is a huge scale, but people raise like $7 million in Series A, but I've seen people raise $35 million in Series A. So it also depends on your industry. And then from there, you go Series B, Series C. Some people get up to like Series F, but usually what you find is people either get acquired or they go public probably around like Series D. Mm. And during all these rounds, are you raising, is that's where you're giving up some equity? You give them equity every time, yeah, each time, every each time. time. So are, how are you positioned now? Right. So right now you're presenting your first your debit card um, by hopefully the time this is released. 
So is it now that like your mission was up until this point to, you know, get as many users, people to sign up as like a way to show, hey, people want this, this is this is interest. And now is it that now it's time to like show that people are going to use this debit card or like what is that next round for you to, or thing that you need to do for the business to like help it go to the next level? So for our pre-seed, of course, there was money that we used to, you know, kind of build the MVP or get beta going. And then what we did at Capway specifically for us is we built the first part of our platform was financial education. And so we end up getting a lot of users mainly through our financial literacy and our financial education um, portion of what we were doing with Capway. Because what was really important to me in building this company was I think that the information gap is so important. It's like if I give you a whole bunch of money and I don't give you any information or what to do with it, it's probably not going to go too well. And the same thing is opposite. If I if I give you all this information, but I don't give you any way to build money, like, great, just what am I supposed to do with this information? Um, so we end up building a, a nice... Um, audience strictly from our content side. And then now with the debit cards coming out, we're going to add up that next layer, which is users for actually banking with Capway, using us for, you know, for a financial outlet for banking purposes. And then we'll, that goes into our next thing, which then we're adding other layers onto not just debit cards or just like spend accounts, but now we're adding like micro lending. We're adding different ways of saving. We're adding credit building. So we're looking to get to our acceleration point, you know, from projection wise about summer 2021. Um, and then they'll lead to this, the next layer of acceleration, which goes to your series B, series C. So that's, that's where we are. Well, it sounds exciting. Like, I mean, it sounds like it's a lot. <laughs> Obviously it is, but it sounds like being able to provide this service. And then I think the person you, who you are behind the business, like when people know it's you doing this, like, you know, young, like black woman, I think it's even more just inspiring. And part of it is kind of like the product works, but also the person behind the product is also someone you want to support too. You know, like you want, want to see you win, like, you know, like want to cheer, cheer you on. And, you know, as you were talking, so one of the things that like, you know, I've thought about, and I'm sure like other people think about, but the education part of this whole thing is important because you can like build the tool first, but then if your users don't know how to manage their money, like you're not really helping like make it sustainable. Right. Um, and then I think about all the people within like the finance space, like me, who are more like information and maybe service providing right now um, with information. And then it's like, I have an idea for an app. <laughs> and so like, what would you tell someone like me um, in terms of if I wanted to pursue, right, creating an app? And I've seen people also say this, like some people get into this like as an entrepreneur and you think you can get into like an app space. And it's like, no, no, no. Actually, that's not your lane. <laughs> you should probably stick to like more of the, you know, the face or like kind of like the influencer kind of person because that app that's or that technology part of it is a different like level. But part of me feels like the technology part of it, that's where this whole like world is going to. It's like the service based stuff and education stuff is important, obviously. But I feel like lasting and like real impact is going to come from having someone use something. So I don't know. What do you think sure. of that? Yeah. So to your point, one thing that you'll see in, in our next release with, with Capway is exactly what you say, what you said and what you're saying. We, we thought through that. And so, of course, at Capway, we have a, a, a content team ourselves. Like we have a Capway content team who puts out you know information. But what I was seeing, even as we were doing like, you know, we do this culture meets money every Thursday um, on, our, on our Instagram live. But what I was saying was we was talking to a lot of influencers and they were also saying like, you know, I had this great following on like social media, you know, on my website, but like, I kind of want to get into like more like an app. And, you know, when I was, what I would tell people from, you know, my long time in doing apps is there's, I don't know, 10 million apps in the app store now. And so if a thousand influencers decide I'm going to put out an app on financial literacy, like somebody's going to download it, but it's like you're going to get kind of lost in the sauce because it's like you're kind of pushing the same things. And so we did a capway. Well, I said, I told my team, my, my marketing, my engineering team, I said, you know, what we see as a benefit is people go to Facebook because they can find everything in Facebook. People go to Instagram because I can see everybody's pictures on Instagram. I go to Twitter because I can see everybody's, you know, everybody's thinking in one place. You know, if everybody had their own blog, which was how it was years ago before social media really became a thing. You know, people did that. But now people go to these social networks because I can see, on your page, I go to my essence page. And so we're doing the same thing for financial literacy or financial education within Capway. And so 
someone like yourself could come and say, Shana, I want to have full financial sessions. You literally can have a full financial session within Capway. Like a course or training for people yes. or something. Yeah, yeah. And you can, and so someone can come and they'll go to, they can search for you. They can search for a certain topic. And the same way you would have popped up in the Apple App Store, you will pop up in our content side for your specific, your specific course or session or program. And so we want to create a place where people can come literally learn about money all in one place. Cause we just feel like there wasn't available. There wasn't, it didn't exist. And you can not only not, you're learning about money and you're getting access to all of this, but then you're able to also, once again, you're able to build your finances because you also have an option for banking there. You have an option for savings. You have an option for creating money goals. So they're taking information they're learning and able to actually build what we're hoping financial health and generational wealth and the exact same platform. Right. Right. All right. I kind of want to get now more just into you building a business, you being an owner, an entrepreneur, um, how you manage um, all this. Cause not only the, pre- I would imagine like this pressure as you get money from other people, like, you know, there's millions of dollars now, like there's that pressure. There's the pressure of managing your day to day right? Like you have this big goal, but there's a lot of little goals that you need to complete every day to get that done. Um, And then the marketing side of it, right? Like how much do you put yourself out there to grow this company versus you, you know, you lead with the brand, like the company itself. So I know that was a lot, but how are you managing all those different assets or facets of being entrepreneur while still keeping sane (laughs) during Uh, these times? (laughs) Yes. Sane is the best way to put it. Um, I, I'll say like my, one of my biggest benefits is I'm, I'm actually reading the book again. There's a book called The 1%. And it tells you pretty much that every day your goal is to complete just 1% of something. Because that means in a year you create, you accomplish 365% of something. And so what I try to do is break down tasks to say, hey, I can't get all this done in a week, but I'm going to get this done today. I'm going to get this done tomorrow. And the point is you look up in a week and you've actually accomplished a lot because you only focus on something very small every day. So that's one thing for me is for us, like keep insane, kind of keep organized. Um, my friends are great. My friends and family are great. They keep me sane. I literally probably can be like standing next to, I don't know, Michelle Obama and my friends will still probably like clown me. Um, so like, me, why, why do you look yeah, like that? Exactly. <laughs> so they keep me very grounded, which is I, I'm beyond appreciative of. Um, but then, you know, just entrepreneurship is a very lonely route. And I tell people, what I, I think people feel like it's lonely, like you're by yourself all the time, which in some cases you are. But you can have a team of 100 people and you still feel lonely because it's like sometimes you feel like this is my journey. Nobody understands it. So it's more of a mental lonely than it is a physical lonely. And then you, once again, you know, you have all this money and you know in our case now it is millions and you have investors to answer to you know that's one that's a big difference also in bootstrapping and raising money when i was bootstrapping i didn't have to answer anybody but sheena you know but now that i have investors i still have to send out a monthly you know investor update and investors want to know how the company's doing and you know it's you have to answer to people so that is that's a different piece that goes along with it and i don't i would say entrepreneurship is and I say this, and I always make sure I put a disclaimer with it. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. And the reason I say that, there are just some people who are just more comfortable in their skin, and it makes them more comfortable to say, hey, I'm going to go to my job. It's a nine to five. I want to clock in. I want to clock out. I want to get my paycheck. And I'm okay with that. And it is, that it is okay. There is nothing wrong with that. And I really hate that some people try to put that as a as a at the bottom like that's okay if that's if that was work for you that works for you um but then some people you know the entrepreneurship is what is in them but it's it's a hustle it's a i'm steps three o'clock in the morning there is no clocking in and clocking out people like oh you know what are you doing this weekend working are you working on the weekend when you you run a company there's no such thing as (laughs) no i'm off on the weekend like there's no there is no this just it's a day Days, days, no Saturday, Sunday, it's like day. But you know, I, I, I will say for me, I love what I do. So, yes, I am sleepy sometimes. Yes, I get stressed sometimes. But even when I'm at three o'clock in the morning, I still will say, I love what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. 
which is, I mean, and you're making like an impact and doing something that has not been done before by someone who looks like you. So it's even more inspiring. And, you know, so part of the background of like, you know, my podcast and just like my brand is, you know, I'm about like helping people reach financial independence, which is a very lofty goal because in turn, it means that like literally you'd have enough invested and saved where you wouldn't have to work again if you didn't want to. But really it's like, you're choosing what you want to do. Most people want to work and do something, right? And so I would love your perspective, like where you are, right? Because you're now like, you're you're building, you you have this company, you still have a ways to go. A lot of it sounds like too, like you want to, you know, you want to make that impact. You want to see it through. But for you, um, I would imagine like, is financial independence something on your horizon? I just feel like sometimes people, even in our space of entrepreneurs, like they're making the money, you know, they're building the things, but they're not even thinking about their own financial like health. I'm not saying that's you. I'm just saying putting it into perspective for people where it's just like, you know what, if I did want to walk away from this, like my exit strategy is that one day I don't have to hustle and work on the weekends (laughs) and, you know, for the rest of my life. Have you started to think about that journey for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to be on a yacht somewhere my feet kicked up and not, (laughs) and not working at four o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Um, But I, I also am that person where, if I literally have, have could sell cafe today for a billion dollars and I might take a small break, I'm going to go back. I'm, I'm going to go back and do something. My, my great grandmother passed away at 92 and she would always tell me, you know, you have a goal to the day that you die. All right. Say that part again. I want to make sure I got that. You should have a goal until the day that you die. Mm, yes. It's like even my grandmother who was, who must again passed at 92 even her goal might be like, I'm going to go, you know, sit on the porch today and sit up for a while, or you know, I'm, I'm a cook this week, or it was always something, and she kept herself going because I crazy. I had this conversation last night. Some people are just existing. Not everybody's living. Some people are literally just existing. And I think when you start to exist, you lose your purpose, and when you lose your purpose, like you, it's like you're just you're just here. And I never want to feel like I'm existing. You can exist and have a lot of money. There's plenty of people who have plenty of money and are miserable. They're just existing. I never want to get that feeling. So I want financial independence for myself. I want generational wealth for my kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids. Well, when I'm gone and I'm a thought, I want that generational wealth to be there. But for my personally, for myself, yes, financial independence, but I don't, I don't honestly ever see myself not doing something. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. Okay. Sheena, tell everyone where they can find more about you and Capway. Yeah. So Capway, you can find us, our website, it's capway.co. That's .co. You can find us in the app store. That's the Google play store and the Apple app store. So definitely download our app um, on social media across all of our social media um, handles. We are at go Capway, G O C A P W A Y. And then personally for myself, uh, it's just SheenaAllen.com on social. I, it is who is Sheena, S-H-E-E-N-A. Right. And the goal here is like people go and they download the app. Like there's no fee to download it. You really, it's the financial education part they get. And then they, by the time hopefully this is released, you'll have this debit card that they can potentially opt into and start banking with you. Yes. That's yes. it. All right. Thank you so much, Sheena. Thank you. Okay, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sheena Allen. I was super inspired by just her journey, her growth from not knowing how to code, but to figuring it out. Um, so even if you are not into, you know, the fintech world, this story should have been an inspiration. Hopefully it's an inspiration to you on just going after it. An idea, if it is planted, if there's a seed in your head, I want you to know that anything is possible. You know, anything. Okay, so before I go, just want to remind you, you still have time to join me on January 14th at the free class where I'll be talking about financial independence 101, breaking down the building blocks you need to create and live your best life while on the journey to financial freedom. You can join me at journeytolaunch.com slash free class. The class is on January 14th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. So join me live. If you like hearing me talk, on the podcast and you'll love to be able to like, let's see, let's interact with each other. See me teach what I love teaching best financial independence and financial freedom topics. Also the doors to the FI course are going to be open, but only open until January 19th. So if you want to find out more about that, go to journeytolaunch.com slash FI course.
Don't forget, you only have a few hours if you're listening to this in real time when this episode drops to join me on January 14th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time for my free class where I'll be helping you map out your journey to financial independence. You don't want to miss it. Sign up by going to journeytolaunch.com slash free class. Now it's time for DCU's money tip of the week. This is where I share a quick money tip or resource or tool to help you on your journey to financial freedom. Now, I'm going to talk to you about fishing as a scam and how to avoid it. I'm not talking about fishing to get fish, like fish you eat, or maybe you have as pets, but fishing as a scam where you get fraudulent emails that look like they're from a familiar organization, but they're really asking you for information that could jeopardize your personal data. So you may be asked to make a payment or verify personal information, such as your social security number or a password. Do not give this in an email. Protect yourself in these three ways. One, never provide your personal information online or over the phone unless you initiated the contact and you know it's a trustworthy company. Two, contact the company using a phone number or website that you know is real instead of following a link in an email. And three, report any phishing attacks to the Federal Trade Commission at ftc.gov slash complaint. Okay, for more tools and information to help you with your money goals, check out dcu.org. If you want to check out the episode show notes, that's where you can get links to anything that's mentioned and even get a transcribed version of this episode that you can read. Go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. Now, you can also still grab your free Journeyer Jumpstart Guide by texting LAUNCH to 33777 or go to com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.